0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back of the Bible Canada's Truth in Life Today and Dr. John Newfeld. John, welcome. Thank you. You know, we have a, a great guest today. We do. Uh, his name is Paul Chamberlain, Dr. Paul Chamberlain. He's a prof at Trinity Western University. Uh, he's a, an apologetics professor. He's involved in ethics and a number of things. But the thing we're going to talk about today is what they uh, term as MADE. That's the acronym they use yeah. now, which is medically ass- assistant, medical assistance in dying, yeah. which is an intri- intriguing term. But that's what we want to talk yeah. about today. And uh, we'll have the opportunity to chat with him about that in our next segment. But right now, John, will you take us to the Word?
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about MAID, I'm going to talk about assisted suicide, which I think is the right way to put it. I mean, usually, when you think about that, what precedes the question is the question of suffering. A lot of people will say, you know, if life has become so cruel, wouldn't it be cruel to insist that I should be called upon to keep on living? Well, as we're going to see, it's extremely difficult to define exactly where that place is. I mean, you can imagine, does your suffering have to reach a certain level? And what exactly is that level? Or how about an individual goes through a debilitating process? Maybe there's an accident, they end in a wheelchair, or maybe they suddenly become blind, and they go through depression. Is it okay then to end one's life? And, it, and the issue of depression itself uh, is something that needs to be discussed. When are we severely depressed enough that would allow a physician to take our lives. Now, I wanna say something personal here. Normally I don't, but I'm going to. You know, I have very rarely ever had a thought even about suicide, but I did once. It's because I had gone through a diagnosis in which I had been diagnosed with with a neurological disease that would have been debilitating. It was a wrong, faulty diagnosis, and I found that out later. But I remember having some thoughts immediately afterwards which surprised me. I wondered exactly how much I would have to suffer, and as I went through that, I found deep solace in Romans 8.28. I mean, that's kind of what pulled me through. I remember thinking to myself, you know, that passage in and of itself promises me two things. One, that everything happens by the providential care of God, and secondly, it all happens for my own long-term good. And somehow I grasped a hold of that and managed to do that. But I wanna talk about a couple of the scripture passages that will relate to this very question. So I'm gonna begin by taking you to, to Romans chapter five, verses three to five, listen as I read this. Paul writes, more than that, we rejoice, he says, in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So really what we have in passages like this is that every believer ought to know that when we go through suffering, that the suffering is never a loss. It is a part of the demonstration of our union with Christ. We are united with him in his suffering so that we might also be united with him in his resurrection. That's standard biblical teaching. And the suffering in the moment can produce a harvest of righteousness in the believer who's willing to be trained by it. That's the first lesson we learn. Second text I wanna take you to is 1 Corinthians chapter six, and I'm reading verses 19 and 20. There Paul writes or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. He says you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So every believer wants to say, look, my life is not my own. It is a gift from the God who made me. And because it's his gift, he determines how that gift is to be used. And that's fundamental to the life of a believer. The third passage I wanna take you to is all the way back in the book of Psalms. And Psalm 31 verses 14 and 15 says, "'But I trust in you, O Lord. "'I say you are my God, my times are in your hands.'" Now listen, every believer needs to say that God has appointed the date of our birth and he has also appointed the date of our death. My times are in his hands and I will be calm and recognize that it will be God who will call me home and it will not happen at my own hand. You know, in history, Christians have always said that suicide, no matter how it's done, whether it's through the help of a physician or by our own hand, that all of it is murder. And even though we don't go to hell for suicide, I would say to you that none of us wants to have our last act on this earth as an act of rebellion against the commands of God. View your life, no matter what your life is like in the present hour, as a gift from God. But what do we say about those who have no faith? I mean, we're living now in a country where people are saying, don't I have the right? And I would say, first of all, individually, to anyone who's listening to me that has no faith, Don't bet your death on a gamble that there is no God. Recognize that there is a God on the other side that will hold you accountable. Think about that. And also, if you're suffering the loss of everything, you're not a believer. Recognize this, that you don't have to suffer the loss of God and the loss of eternity. God is making you an offer right now. Cling to that. The third thing that I want to say is something to our culture. See, don't people have the right to die? Please understand that all choices have consequences. In the Netherlands right now, around 4% of all deaths are euthanasia. And in Belgium right now, there's been a disturbing trend, and let me tell you of it. Uh, Particularly in Belgium, the drive is to euthanize people who have not made the request for their own death. And why would you do it? Well, because of dementia, depression, mental illness, or even a completed life. If in the end, we make the practice of euthanasia a normal practice in our culture, we will cheapen every human life. And in the end, we're going to ask, is your life complete? If you choose to keep on living, what's the cause to our medical system? And so pressure will begin to develop on individuals. They ought to end it all because it's in the good of everyone that they do so. And after that, we need to ask ourselves this question, who else will then be deemed to be a life not worth living? See, here's what the Bible gives us. It gives us the value of human life. Every human being created in the image of God has intrinsic value because that's how we're created. That's the glory of the gospel, and that's how the gospel impacts our culture.
0: Well, welcome back to Truth and Life today with Dr. John Newfeld, and I'd like, like to introduce again our guest, uh, Paul Chamberlain. And uh, Paul, uh, you're a Canadian philosopher and professor. You teach apologetics and ethics and philosophy of religion, and uh, you're a director of Trinity Western's Institute of Christian Apologetics. Yes, I am. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's all I can say is
2: wow. Well, well, yeah. well it's, a, it's a great privilege to, 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 to be able to do that job. It really yeah, is. It's it's it is a great is. honor.
0: Yeah, and uh, Paul, you've also authored, I, I believe it's five books. Five, yes. Uh, yeah. The most recent one called Why People Don't Believe. Well, the most recent is Why
2: People Stop Believing, oh, why people which stop is very believing. much like the other one. I don't okay. blame you for the confusion. Even I've been confused over those two. Okay. But so that's Why the People Stop Believing, yes, yes.
0: and that's intriguing in and of itself. Uh, but the opportunity we have uh, today is to talk about something that... Uh, Uh, is a serious, serious issue, and it's a timely issue. And I I think what Truth In Life today tries to do with Dr. Neufeld and our guests is is bring up timely but very relevant and biblical issues, uh, issues that uh, the Bible speaks to. And we want people to understand that the Bible speaks to the critical issues of of faith and life. Uh, So so let's begin, and and maybe I can even uh, start by saying, you know, uh, there's an acronym now called MADE. Okay, Medical Assistance in Dying. That's what we're calling it today. Can you help us a little bit with the terminology? Where are we with the terminology? Well, well
2: yes. I mean, it, because we used to call this physician-assisted suicide, actually a term I preferred because it made it really clear that no one got it who didn't actually ask for it. Then they went to physician-assisted death, but now more, most recently medical assistance in dying. The long term we, we've used over the years, the historical one is simply euthanasia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, That's the term. And But medical assistance in dying refers to the choice we've now decided to give Canadians, who are suffering and who no longer want to endure their suffering, to request and receive a physician's assistance in ending their lives. That, that's what medical assistance in
0: dying is now is now called. So, so there's something takes place, though. Somebody has to assist yes. somebody in, in yes. death or dying. Well,
2: yeah, the, the, the definition always has been when, a, when a, a medical doctor provides the means or the method or both to a person who requests assistance in dying. And that person receives it and, the, and, and the, with the intention of ending the person's life. this is really critical to get these distinctions and these, uh, the, these definitions clear. Because there's other times that we, the medical people will give um, uh, a, a morphine or some kind of pain killing drug with the intention of simply reducing pain. That's not physician-assisted suicide, yeah. or other times they may they may shut down a, a ventilator or respirator, knowing the person will die, because there's not, be, uh, but they'll die of the condition that they have. There's no intention to end their lives; it's simply an intention to say we'll no longer try to prolong the dying process. We'll let the person die. None of those are physician-assisted suicide or medical assistance in dying. Medical assistance in dying takes place when, when the physician does that with the intention of bringing about the person's death, a person who would not otherwise die, and that's that's where we're, we've now gone since February 6, 2015 in Canada.
1: Yeah. So I yeah. think there's a fuzziness in a lot of people's yeah. minds, Paul, yeah. I think, uh, because we used to say passive and right. active right. euthanasia. But really, passive euthanasia is not euthanasia at all. So Uh, I I, I know we've talked about that. I I think you should explain Well, I
2: couldn't agree more. I mean, often the textbooks will will call it that, and I've never really understood why, except unless there's some kind of a power play going on, I don't know. But passive euthanasia is sometimes referred to as shutting down the respirator or shutting down the ventilator to allow the person to die of the condition they have. Passive. So they die naturally. So they die naturally of the condition they have. I think it's a real mistake, a misnomer, and, and really, frankly, quite misleading and unhelpful to call that euthanasia of any kind. Euthanasia as, well, Dr. Arnold Voth, a Christian medical uh, f- a practitioner up in, up in Edmonton, excellent man, gave a phenomenal paper at Regent uh, College one, once, uh, which I heard, and he said, uh, we need to re- re- uh, limit the term euthanasia. To, to those times when, when someone takes some action to bring about the death of a person who would not otherwise die. So when you simply shut the machine off and let the person die of what they have, Dr. Voss said, that's simply good medicine. That's allowing people to die who no longer want to be force-fed medical therapies that, that will do nothing except prolong the dying process anyway, probably increase their 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 pain, their misery, their suffering. That's not the purpose of medical science whatsoever. So euthanasia is when you take some step to bring about the death of a person who would not otherwise was die, with the intention of causing the person's death. Uh, and it's really critical. I, I had a, a student come to me once, a young uh, young woman, about 21, 22 years old, in tears after one of my classes, uh, because she had had to make this horrible decision with her young husband. The two of them had been had, had made a trip to South Africa it in a serious car accident. Her husband uh, ended up in on life support, and he was on life support for about a week to 10 days. And she was finally told, this is it for him, either we can keep him alive indefinitely on these machines or you can make the decision to, to shut the machines off. She made the decision and wondered from then on whether she had done something wrong, whether she killed her husband. And she was in tears. And it was sheer joy for me to tell her, Noah, you did the right thing. You allowed him to die of the condition that he had. You did not kill him. Killing him would have been taking a person who would otherwise live and taking some step to bring about his death. All she did is shut the machine off and allow him to die of the injuries that he had. And, uh, and I think we need, to, we need to really make that clear for people who are listening. Um, because some people are, un- are under a burden that they may have done something wrong. I've had other students with the same question and other people have talked to me over the years about that. Yeah,
1: and it? I think we've also come to the conclusion that see in past generations, yeah. nobody was hooked up to a machine, right. right? So this is a modern problem. So true. And, and you know we need to develop an ethic around that. Yeah. And yeah. I think the ethic says that if you intervene to cause dying, that indeed is euthanasia, that's, that's killing right. a person. Exactly. Whereas if on the other hand, you simply decide not to intervene yes. and allow the natural process to take place, you're not killing the person. You're right. But they are, in fact, dying from whatever the, the, the condition
0: they had, they had. Go ahead. So, so so what make another distinction here. Uh, that would be a situation where somebody makes a choice mm-hmm. to let somebody die or or assist them to die. Mm-hmm. But a lot of what we talk about now is the personal choice to die. Yeah. so how do we understand that? What is that all about? Very good.
2: Well, personal choice, personal autonomy, as as we all know, has risen to the level of almost one of our supreme cultural virtues. I mean, all you need to do is attach the words, the right to choose. Onto to any position you have and you'll get a sizable majority of the Canadian public with you you don't even need to say the right to choose what it doesn't it doesn't matter the right to choose is just a mantra that we can use and, and it's a very serious matter and, and but, but the the trouble with is on, the, on and well of course it's been applied to this issue i guess we should say and and that's been one of the most the strongest arguments used to to argue in favor of legalizing assisted suicide is simply seen as the right to choose the time and circumstances of my death now we as Christians ought to realize here we have somewhat of a cultural clash going on because as Christians we are, are we happily submit to the will of God. We say, thy will be done. And when it comes to the time when we die, we ultimately say, God, you ultimately decide when we die. That's a that's foundational uh, point for Christians to, to have in mind. What, what makes it a little bit difficult is given our medical technology, just as you mentioned a bit ago John, in one sense we don't leave it all up to God when, when already when none of us of do we we go to the doctor when we have other things that, that could end our lives uh, b- but but when we come to the point when we are in the dying process at that point we as Christians need to develop the ethic just as John has said here mm-hmm. and, 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 and I think the foundational principle would be this who the foundational question who makes the decision as to when I die yeah. as a Christian your yeah, God hold up there will who makes done. the
0: decision what was that again God God. as to when we die okay he that's a decision as to when as we die to when we we're going to pick up on that in just a minute uh, thanks so much paul and john and and uh, so join us again just right after this break for more of truth and life today Welcome back. We're so uh, grateful to have uh, Paul Chamberlain and of course, Dr. John with us today. And we want to pick up on uh, what you were saying just before the break about who decides when we die. Right. I
2: think that's one of the most foundational principles when we develop our ethic on this as Christians is that God ultimately decides when we die. I know that, of course, medical science means we go to the doctor for other things uh, when when we can. But when that day comes, when we know we enter the dying phase uh, due to old age or an injury or an illness, uh, we we are people who say, thy will be done in all matters of life, and including these real big ones like that. And then we develop our ethic around that.
1: Yeah, and I think I can interject here and to say, mm-hmm. I think it's the Christian value base. Life is important. Yes. Our life is in God's hands yeah. and not in ours. Right. That gives us this value of life. Now, right. when you take that away, then you're going to start to in, be involved on both ends, either right. the abortion end or the end of life end. Mm-hmm. and uh, and a whole bunch of other perspectives as well. We may decide that a life is no longer worth living um, take away the Christian value base you take away the value of life
2: well, well precisely I mean that, that's see that's another foundational principle equally foundational to the other one uh, is that, that for Christians human life has intrinsic dignity because we are made by God in His image we are purposeful creations of a loving God right. that's a foundational one so our bias will always be in favor of celebrating life and and, and, uh, and and protecting life all the way through and then at the end when it comes time to die the creator of the one who gave us life is the one who can decide when, oh, when life ends. But those foundational principles have always been helpful to me and
0: give me a couple of anchors to hold on to as I develop an ethic around that. You know, John, as, as, I'm, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, so uh, we as Christians or even as pastors, uh, how ought we respond? Because uh, we're all going to be faced with either the issue of, for ourselves or for someone else, or in a pastor's case, For a whole congregation. Yeah, for a whole congregation, no pastor will ever not have to deal with
1: the issue of death and end-of-life issues. But I would like to also say no family will ever not deal with this. There's not a human being that doesn't deal with this, Ben. And so given the technology that we now have, every one of us are going to have to ask the question, the pulling of the plug question, or whether or not it's ethically okay. Is it biblically uh, okay to let someone die? And the answer to that is an unequivocal yes. But the other question is, is it okay to put someone to death? And there we have the clear command of God, you shall not kill. And so that is taken away from us exactly, Paul, as you said. Our life is in God's hands, it's not in our hands. So for us to intervene at a point in time to say, I am going to end a life because it's suffering, because it's not worth living, all of these things, we must say, it is
0: not okay to do that. Yeah, yeah, uh, Paul. You have the opportunity to uh, teach at Trinity Western yeah. University. That's where I got my master's okay. degree. So it's a, it's a wonderful school. Uh, I'm I'm wondering just a quick question. Uh, are you seeing generational differences in how we're dealing with this issue? Yeah, well, I, the, the
2: the differences we see in our culture are all reflected in our Christian young people. There's no doubt about it. And of course, Trinity Western welcomes students of all kinds anyway. And so I have plenty of students who are not Christians. And we, we see the, the cultural differences, they're all reflected in our, in our students. Our students value tolerance. Our students value personal choice, a personal autonomy. They sometimes find that a, l- a little difficult. Some of the things that we have historically taught, the, there is one way it's namely Jesus That kind of seems intolerant to people and uh, so our students are in a part of the same culture as God, Dr. Guy Saffold always says you can't swim in a culture without getting wet and you're in that culture you're gonna get wet uh, but it, in my opinion th- in my view this just gives me an opportunity to come back and say what are the, are the basics here and let's think through uh, what are the fundamental teachings of Christianity and of the Bible uh, and how can we apply those in our culture too because the, this this is the job not to try to figure out not to reinvent Christianity but to figure out how to uh, to, to put it across in our culture uh, in a way that can gain an acceptance and the appeal of the message can still come through that that that's the challenge
0: yeah you know the uh, the purpose statement we have for truth and life today is biblical teaching engaging culture right and that specifically you know it seems like time and time and time we come back to this again John Uh the critical importance of steeping uh, all people in the word of god and and if we miss out on engaging the word of god we're going to miss out on so many of these important principles of how to live our lives yeah, i think that being biblical
1: reading scripture daily yeah. uh, going to a church where scripture is being actively taught the intent of scripture is the intent of the sermon you know mm-hmm. i've talked about that a lot mm-hmm. i mean where that begins to Permeate a life, we begin to find that there's not a single area of life that's not affected. Mm-hmm. We just think differently about everything than the culture in which we live in. Yeah, we get wet. Yeah. But it's yeah. interesting, we begin to recognize yeah. what wetness looks exactly. like, whereas I think if you don't have a biblical perspective, right. you know what you like? The fish that doesn't know it's wet.
2: Precise? That
1: and so it just swims difference. in
0: that culture, yeah.
1: doesn't know yeah. any different.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So speak to that. Well, that and the Paul.
2: only way to guard against that is to return to our, our objective documents, our primary documents, which are the Bible, the teachings of Jesus. Get back to that, get back to those Old Testament principles. You see, I, 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 I'm I very fond of saying repeating what Jude said. This is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So our job is to return to that again and again and again. And and as time goes on, you'll see our culture is moving this way. Uh, In in this one area, we're becoming a little more out of sync with our culture. We used to be in sync. Now we're out of sync. That may not feel great, but it's simply reality. But if there's a cultural clash, at least we can identify that and we can point to that and say, and we, we have an opportunity then still to proclaim the truth and hold it up.
0: Yeah. A last word,
1: John? Well, I'm just so thankful that we have had the opportunity to talk about this because, I again, as we've said before, this is going to affect everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody is unaffected by this. So, we're going to come to the end of our life, and for a great many of us, it's going to involve suffering. Question is, is that somehow worthwhile to go through? And the answer is, yes it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I would encourage, uh, Paul, I know you've done a number of papers on this issue Uh, and uh, so to to look up Paul Chamberlain. Worthwhile. Worthwhile, worthwhile reading. And I know we've just scratched the surface of this issue but thank you so much for setting just a a wonderful foundation for thinking through this and thinking biblically. So thanks Paul. And uh, remember to join us again in just a few moments right after the break as Dr. Neufeld takes a few minutes just to summarize what we've talked about today, right here on Truth and Life Today. Welcome back to Truth In Life today. Uh, we had a great conversation with Dr. Paul Chamberlain, and uh, he was very insightful. And, you know, uh, just in conclusion, John, a couple of things that he had mentioned. Uh, the right to choose. Help me understand that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, Paul made that
1: point, and I think he's exactly right here, that the right to choose has become the new morality. Yeah. I mean, if I want to stand against your right to choose, somehow I'm making an immoral intrusion into your life, and that's what he's talking about. I think, however, as a believer, we want to say, look, the right to choose ultimately rests with God and not with us, and it's not just an individual faith statement to say that. I mean, we all recognize if I decide to murder someone, I shouldn't have that right to choose. I mean, you know, we are right now in a position where a leading politician is talking about having slept with with prostitutes, and we're saying, you ought not to have the right to choose that. So we've got to get our lines straight, is it a right to choose or not? And the answer from scripture always is, the right to choose is mitigated by morality between right and wrong that's an
0: issue now this this is a timely issue. it's a huge issue. Uh, you had mentioned earlier in an earlier segment that you know all of us at one point whether an individual or a family or a pastor is going to have to deal with this issue. So what would you suggest for those?
1: Yeah Ben, I think that's exactly right. Uh, everyone's situation is going to be very different at the point of death. I think what Paul was trying to make though for us is the point that there is a, a world of a difference between choosing to kill myself and allowing, we can say, the forces of nature or the providence of God simply to take me. It's okay to say, you know, I, I'm going to decide to have no intervention. It's okay to say we're going to unplug the machine. It's not okay to say I'm going to inject poison into my system to kill me. It's never okay to murder even myself. Yeah. I think that's the issue.
0: Thanks so much, John. And uh, we were grateful to have Paul Chamberlain with us. And don't forget to join us next week, right here on Truth and Life Today.